Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. I'm Patience Adamu. And I'm Curtis Vermont. And this is The Drip, a podcast about political decision-making during a racial revolution. Stay tuned as we parse through the weekly decisions being made by our political leaders that impact the Black community. You ready? Let's do it. On this week's episode, we discuss some of the headlines from the week of November 1st, including Joe Biden has won. Trump will no longer be the president of the disunited states. Canada making progress, but missing its target for lifting world water advisories on indigenous territory. Ontario's COVID budget. Farrell has been sentenced to jail, but will it stick? Ethiopia is in the middle of a civil war. And plenty more. To kick off our politics segment, Canada will miss its target for lifting boil water advisories on Indigenous land. Many of you should remember when Prime Minister Justin Trudeau first promised to end all long-term boil water advisories on Indigenous reserves during the 2015 election. It was the first major promise concerning Indigenous reconciliation, and it became one of the central priorities of the Liberal agenda. The target for giving clean water to all Indigenous people was March 2021. Unfortunately, the federal government is on track to miss that target. Though Ottawa has ended 96 long-term boil water advisories so far, it still faces 60 in 41 communities because some First Nations rely on more than one system. 15 other First Nations say they expect to lift their advisories by the March 2021 deadline to bring the total to 121 out of 156. But for many projects, the speed of completion will depend on the progress of construction and water testing over the coming weeks and months, which could be delayed by weather. And quite frankly, there's some communities that still have to wait years, years more on top of the decades they've already been neglected. For the record, the Trudeau government has spent $1.65 billion, which of course is no chump change, to make Indigenous water systems available and sustainable. What are our thoughts here, Patience? Are are we cutting Justin some slack on this or do we need more? You know, usually I cut JT some slack on on a whole bunch of issues, not this one. Mm. Curtis, have you ever lived without... Clean running water? I have, yes, plenty of time. Yeah, so have I. So when, when I go to, to my, my, my parents' uh, home village in, in Nigeria, I live without clean running water. I, I live without running water, actually. We have like uh, like a well system there where you kind of catch water on top of the house. Mm-hmm. And it, it is really, really difficult, even though everybody else is on the same system as you, right? So the expectations aren't really high in terms of, you know, like cleanliness and, you know, washing your clothes very often and, and stuff like that, because people kind of understand you, you, you may not have as much water or as much clean water as, as you need. Uh, and the amount of money that you have to spend on buying water from somebody who does have some kind of a spring system or a filtration system is, is really, really expensive. This is not acceptable 
just as someone who has lived through that for like the two weeks that I did, not yeah. acceptable, not acceptable. What do you think? I, I totally agree. Um, I have a varied background. Part of that background is that I grew up in Jamaica and in my most formidable, formidable years as a kid, um, I didn't have any hot water. There were times where I didn't have any water at all. It's, it's not a feeling anybody wants to experience. And then the reality of the situation is we can look at the onset of COVID and the fact that the government got billions of dollars out the door in a matter of like weeks. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we're talking about these boil water advisories that, that should have been lifted since 2015 and that had been in place. The, these problems have been in place for decades on top of that. So, no, it's no more waiting, man. Let's get it done. We're going to pivot and spend some time talking about the Ontario government since they've just released their budget. And, well, most of you live in Ontario, so you should be aware of it. It's got record spending and a record deficit as a result of measures to contain and ultimately beat COVID. It does have a heavy focus on business, though. Ontario will spend $187 billion to quote, provide as much certainty as possible in an uncertain time, end quote, according to Conservative Finance Minister Rod Phillips. The budget includes $45 billion in COVID-19 related spending over the next three years, though about two thirds of that has already been spent. So really we're talking about $15 billion over three years, $7.5 billion in new healthcare sector spending over the next three years, including $2.5 billion more on hospitals this year than last, and $572 million aimed specifically at offsetting COVID-19 expenses. But like I said, there's a heavy focus on business in this conservative budget. Rod also wants to subsidize commercial and industrial hydro bills to the tune of $1.3 billion so they can lower their rates by 16% and 14% respectively. He insinuates that if we cut those rates, we'll get more jobs, but Huge amounts of research, not to mention most people's experience working for most companies, tells us that companies don't pass profits onto staff or customers, they pocket it. That's a problem when workers are struggling, but owners and executives are swimming in cash. It's unfair and leads to social ruin. Anyway, you know what? I'm digressing. I'm going to stop. Back to what he wants to implement. He'll also reduce property taxes for 94% of businesses, provide a permanent exemption from paying the employer health tax which benefits about 30,000 small businesses with payrolls lower than a million bucks annually. That's on top of the $300 million that was given to businesses in regions forced back into stage two. So all that was for business. When it comes to people, Rod wants to boost funding for Ontario's Black Youth Action Plan to $60 million over three years. I know the Black Chamber is really happy about that. They'll give $200 to parents for each child under 12 and 250 bucks for special needs dependents under 21. This is uh, a second installment to what they first gave in the spring for all the people who, all the kids who had to be homeschooled because of COVID. They also propose a tax credit to cover 25% of up to 10,000 in renovations to retrofit homes for seniors. So that's a max of 2,500. Now, honestly, patients that act like I read that, I'm like, oh, okay. I mean, I can get that 2,500 real quick. They'll also give back 25% of your travel bill if you go on a staycation within Ontario, which is cool. But really, that only helps people if you already had the money to spend, right? So, yeah. They also say they'll work to achieve four hours of direct care for every long-term care resident in Ontario by 2025, which labor unions and healthcare advocates, not to mention the NDP and liberals, have called for. Notably missing, though, details about how they'll achieve those four hours of care. (laughs) Or how they fix our long-term care system, which was ravaged by COVID. Nothing to really improve education. Nothing targeted to women. 
While there's something for black youth, as I just mentioned, there's nothing targeted to blacks and racialized people who, as we've been talking about, who've been really hard hit by COVID. Oh, and they want to make it easier to legitimize hating Muslims and members of the LGBTQ2 community by accrediting Canadian Christian College into a university and allowing it to grant bachelors of science and arts degrees. To be clear, the head of the college is an evangelical zealot. At the same time, I'm not saying faith is bad. Canada Christian College is currently authorized to offer degrees in theology, religious education, and Christian counseling, which of course, that's all fine. I just don't think it's cool to spread hate. Thoughts on this, Patience? This is a really interesting budget. You already pointed out some of the the gaps in the budget. To further highlight these gaps, like remember all the things that Doug Ford cut Mm. uh, upon immediately getting into office. And a lot of that stuff has just kind of I guess, maybe become dust and and gone into thin air. I I am really concerned that there is nothing to improve education. Mm -hmm. Sure, there's $250 to help with uh, homeschooling, but really what we need is a a, a 21st century education system, which we do not have at the um, elementary and and secondary level, nor do we have at the post-secondary level. Mm -hmm. But you know what? I'm going to be real. Doug Ford doesn't care about education. He barely has one of his own. Agreed. This is not this is not something that we're going to get from a a conservative government led by a Ford, unfortunately. I just want to bring people's mindset. I just I want to bring people's thoughts to the new direction the Conservative Party is going in at least in Ottawa and Queen's Park. I and others have noticed a shift toward, quote, the worker from conservatives, from Aaron O'Toole to Doug Ford, where they're trying to carve out enough votes from working class people to put their party over the top come election time while potentially shedding themselves of some of the worst in their party, potentially. I touched on this last week, but I see it so much clearer now. They're trying to outflank left-leaning parties by engaging unions, which are currently more closely aligned with the NDP, and the Liberals. In Ontario's case, Doug Ford appointed Monty McNaughton. He's a red Tory and he's now the Minister of Labour. And he's doing more than just saying the right things. He's He's got policy positions to back it up, like providing retraining for auto workers and income supports for those working in hospitality during COVID. Some of you might rightfully be saying at this point, but hold up, Doug Ford and co. did a bunch of messed up stuff to hurt workers when they first came into power. And you're right. But that minister, Mr. McNaughton, he says, all that happened before me. And, quote, I came to this ministry with the belief that labor, government, and business have to work together. I think my actions demonstrate that, not just the outreach, but real actions, end quote. I don't know. That all sounds good. (laughs) Wonderful. Stupendous, even. But here's the thing. While courting labor, conservatives say they aren't down for social justice and claim that they aren't about identity politics, though... Honestly, I think that's demonstrably false, considering one of the things conservatives in the West fear is the weakening of white power. So will this be enough for conservatives to win? I don't know. But what I fear is many white people who've been historically progressive because of labor matters, deciding that since labor is now being addressed by the cons, they'll jump to that party, even temporarily. That would mean that the progressive coalition among the, you know, 50 to 70% of whites, most black and indigenous people of color, uh, most LGBTQ members, the educated, most women, most millennials, and those who take climate change seriously could fail. 
And for the record, Abacus Data says that if an election were held today, Doug Ford would win with 36% of support. The Liberals would come in second place uh, as the opposition with 29%. The NDP would have 25%. And the Greens would have 7%. So what do you think about that new direction? Does that concern you? Is it, is it a good thing? What, what are your thoughts? I give union leaders a lot of credit in this country because they are quite sophisticated. I'm hoping that when we're talking about, and I'm speaking specifically about the nurses union, uh, the teachers union, the folks who kind of, you know, represent millions of of volunteerians, I'm hoping that they can kind of see through what the conservatives are trying to do and really continue to maintain their strong relationships with the liberals and or the NDP, especially the NDP, like, this is kind of their, you know, their raison d'etre. Like, this is why they exist. They exist for the the worker. Just going back to, to where I started, I do I have a lot of faith in the nurses union, the teachers union, uh, you know, QP, Unifor, all of these unions that have really made uh, Canada a good place to work, given people benefits. And, and I, I think just to add to what you were saying earlier, the reason why the conservatives have to do this is because unions are the whitest places. Mm. So if you don't, if you're not a union supporter or a union defender or defender of the worker in that way, your only base to appeal to is people of color because people of color are overwhelmingly in roles that are non-unionized. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, we'll, we'll see how things go. I obviously hope that Doug Ford and, and Aaron O'Toole are unsuccessful, to be honest with you. Because I, I don't think they actually mean what they're saying. I really don't. And the reality is that even though Aaron O'Toole and even, you know, Minister McNaughton are saying the right stuff, the, the reality is that many in their party still would not want even their views to be acceptable. So they have to fight against that too. There's no guarantee that the conservatives under Aaron O'Toole or Doug Ford in this situation are, are actually going to be reasonable if they allow their worst impulses to 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 prevail. That being said, though, I did mention earlier that you know this move to engage unions it could lead to a situation where a lot of the more hard right supporters of the conservative party decide to jump ship, and it's actually already happening. So, for example, the Wexit party, which we knew about from you know last year, that's mm-hmm. that that's been progressing. Actually, <laughs> it's been evolving. It's now called the Maverick Party. Um, and, uh, and they're, they're, they're recruiting, they're, they're, they're not only are they recruiting some, some decent hitters and not heavy hitters, but decent hitters, like the former conservative house leader under Stephen Harper is literally the leader of that party. So, you know, it, it's possible that this is going to lead to a sea change where the conservative party becomes more reasonable in that case, you know, I, I, I'm still, I'm not a conservative, but I'd be okay with them being successful and therefore implementing this kind of a policy, but I don't, I just don't see it happening. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. 
There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Speaking of unions, there's more good news for Ontario's auto workers this week. Due to the hard work of Unifor, GM says it'll be producing pickup trucks out of its Oshawa plant again starting in January 2022. This is a major deal for a couple of reasons. For one, it means thousands of jobs returning to Oshawa after the plant was out on ice last December, which is good for people and the community. It also means Oshawa will be producing GM's most popular vehicles by far, which hopefully means they shouldn't have to scale down production anytime soon. The pickup trucks are also important because their sales are what's driving GM's transition to electric, autonomous, and highly connected vehicle production. GM plans to spend $1 to $1.3 billion to hire for between 1,400 and 1,700 hourly workers. There are also two sites in St. Catharines and Woodstock that will support engine and transmission production and a parts distribution center, respectively. St. Catharines is getting an additional $109 million, while Woodstock is getting $500,000. This is the largest investment in auto workers ever in Canada. I just hope that BIPOC workers will be well represented in GM's plant workforce, just like any other Canadian, we deserve economic investment too. Your thoughts? I'm so glad that investment is coming back to Oshawa. A little known fact about Oshawa and about all of Durham region, it is becoming another hub or, or center for Black people who are looking to move out of the city of Toronto, particularly those who are looking to, to purchase property uh, because it has been, it, it is like fairly welcoming, but also has been, um, you know, just, just a really affordable place for people to live. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I do not doubt that this investment in Oshawa and in jobs in Oshawa, I do not doubt that that will have ripple effects uh, across the BIPOC community. Continuing to talk about the economy. Since the onset of the pandemic, vacancy rates in the GTA have reached the highest level in a decade, and average rents are 9% lower than this time last year, according to Urban Nation. Demands for rental units have declined due to border restrictions slowing immigration, tourism, and the normal influx of foreign students, as well as tightening criteria for qualifying from banks. At the same time, there's bare rental units available, fam. A record 23,000 new condo units will be completed in the GTA this year, and another 22,434 are due next year. Urban Nation estimates that 50% of those units were bought just to be rented. Condo resales and their prices are still over, are still up over last year and units are still being built, but the number of new condos and new rental unit listings are quickly increasing. If that continues, we can expect some price drops. This is obviously good for those currently renting or looking to buy in the region. People will have plenty of options to choose from, and they may even be able to negotiate lower rents considering investors may be desperate to salvage their investments. I know I would be. On the other hand, if there are so many units and they don't end up being rented or sold before a vaccine is ready and immigration is peaked again in two or three years, that may have an adverse effect on the economy since construction is a major driver of it. In related news... 
Interest rates aren't going anywhere for the next two years. The Bank of Canada says it won't be raising interest rates until inflation gets back to 2% and stays there, something it says isn't likely until about 2023. The central bank decided to keep rates steady at 0.25%. Now, this news was expected by economists since although the economy is recovering, it ain't all good yet. Things are still a long way from normal, so cheap lending will be needed for a while to get people and businesses to spend. That's really good news for those looking to make major purchases over the next three years or those who have debt to pay off. Moving on to black, blackity black news, Toronto cop Michael Farrell has been convicted of the assault of DeFonte Miller. With his conviction comes nine months of jail time and two months of probation. I'm not sure what everyone else expected, but given that Miller is visually impaired for the rest of his life, this does feel pretty generous. More importantly here will be whether Theralt continues to be an officer of the law. The laws are unclear about whether officers who commit misdemeanors and receive a pardon are able to serve on a police force in Canada. Typically, it's only people who are convicted of a felony that are completely restricted from serving on the force again. But given that this was a violent crime, we're not sure where this is going to end up. So look, I'll just leave it to Desmond Cole. This is what he said. Quote, nearly four years later, and this legal battle still is not over. Theralt may yet have his conviction overturned. When they tell us to, quote, let the process play out, end quote, this is the horror they're referring to. We've got to abolish the police and prevent this from happening to another black person, end quote. Now, patients, you know, just now (laughs) you mentioned that, uh, you know, regulations or policy is unclear about what happens to cops if they uh, been uh, found guilty of any crimes. Well, I I have the response to that because the CBC had analyzed 279 disciplinary tribunals for Toronto police in particular since 2010 up until this past June. And they found that a quarter or about 70 of those hearings were for cops found guilty of crimes, including impaired driving, assault, or possession of prohibited firearms, or beating their wife. In all cases, they were allowed to keep their jobs. Yeah, here's a, here's a quote from the, the, the former chair of the Toronto Police Services Board, Alok Mukherjee. Quote, we have police officers continuing to be employed when they've been convicted of serious matters, said Mukherjee. Like a cop hitting his wife once, then again after chasing her when she ran for her life, or another cop crashing and rolling his vehicle while drinking and driving with an open bottle of liquor. So this is Mukherjee again. Quote, there is no question that police officers must be held to a higher standard. End quote. Ultimately, look, don't tell us that these are just a few bad apples when quite literally the entire system discourages accountability. Now, moving on to news from the world, before we get to the inevitable let's talk about let's talk about some overlooked issues from this week while a civil war has begun in ethiopia the government is at war with the tigray people's liberation front and it's pretty serious the government is dropping bombs on their own people according to the associated press tensions with the tplf have been escalating since september when tigray held regional elections in defiance of the federal government which called the vote illegal. 
countries in the region fear that the crisis could escalate to an all-out war under Abi, who, interestingly enough, just won the 2019 Nobel Peace Prize for ending a decades-old conflict with neighboring Eritrea, but has had to contend with outbreaks of ethnic unrest. We just want to let everybody who has family back in Ethiopia to know that, that we are thinking of you at this time. Now, let's get into it. <laughs> With over 74 million popular votes and 279 electoral votes, Joe Biden has been elected the 46th president of the United States. And Kamala Harris is the 49th vice president of the United States. President-elect Biden received the most votes of any presidential candidate in history. He flipped multiple states that voted for Trump in 2016, who was a force in and of himself. He's one of a handful of candidates who beat an incumbent president vying for their second term. And while I'm concerned, of course, that Trumpism isn't going away, I'm heartened that the majority of Americans voted for him. I think this speaks to a thirst for change back to a time when progress and empathy and decency and intelligence and care for your fellow American was on the ballot. Still, Trump got more than 70 million citizens to vote for him. Unlike in 2016, these people were not voting for a hypothetical, the apprentice, strongman savior that he initially advertised himself to be. They voted for a known kleptocrat who let hundreds of thousands of their fellow citizens die after the coronavirus. So I don't know about you, but I increasingly became curious or more accurately concerned about who the heck voted for Trump. So, And here's how it went down. Trump made slight inroads with non-white voters this year compared to in 2016 although the vast majority of non-white voters still voted for Biden. The data shows that the biggest determinant of whether minorities voted Trump or not was whether they were highly educated. Latinx voters shifted their support to Trump by an increase of eight percentage points. Trump lost support among older voters, but his younger base held steady. (laughs) He also lost support from low-income voters while gaining with rich folks. Interestingly enough, this is what you guys are probably all thinking. What happened with the Black vote? The Black vote did indeed shift to be more Republican. And I think there are a list of influencers in the Black community that we can thank for that foolishness. Yep. Any any, any other highlights that we should know about, Curtis? Yes. (laughs) Yes. I've been trying to focus on the good that has come out of this election, this hard-fought hard won election. Um, And so I want to just kind of shed some light on some of the good news. For the first time, voters in Missouri elected a black woman. Her name is Cori Bush. She's a Black Lives Matter activist, by the way. Washington elected a black Korean American woman to the House for the first time. A woman, albeit a conservative, will represent Wyoming in the Senate. And New Mexico's three-member delegation to the House will be made up entirely of women of color. (laughs) although one is a Trump supporter. There's also the fact, and this is this is probably, you know, I really like this part. There's the fact that representatives Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Miss AOC of New York, Ilhan Omar of Minnesota, Rashida Tlaib of Michigan, and Ayanna Presley of Massachusetts, 
known as the squad. What? <laughs> they won re-election. And by the way, Corey Bush is about to join the squad, which shows a real appetite for progress in parts of the country. Ultimately, this is what I'll say. So look, we, we now have a situation where the president of the United States refuses to concede. Um, it kind of doesn't matter because the world and certainly the infrastructure, the, 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 the foundation of the United States institutions will just move to, to Biden. That's not a problem. But I think what's really concerning here is that despite the fact that Joe won, um, like we've pointed out already, there's plenty of people who voted against him, voted, voted for fear, for racism for sexism, for Islamophobia, voted for it to be closed off. They voted for everything that's, in our view anyway, wrong with the world. And so it's going to be, you know, I'm really concerned. I'm, I'm happy for Joe Biden. I'm happy for Democrats. I'm happy for all who believe in good people. But I'm really concerned that especially since the, the Senate is still majority Republican, Joe Biden is not going to be enabled to make the change that Democrats sent him there to do. That's deeply concerning to me. And just going off of that point, the United States is the oldest or the longest running democracy in the world and has always been an example of how to conduct, you know, free and fair elections. Mm -hmm. For decades, the United States has been sanctioning non-democratic countries, forcing them into democracy in order to, to benefit uh, from better trade relations and, and better international rela relations. A really good example of this was Cuba uh, and, and Cuban leader Fidel Castro, who the U.S. has, has had trade embargoes in place with um, as punishment for impediments to, to democratic rule. No, please. Because there's so much, there, there are so many examples of how the United States partnered with autocratic governments to further their own agenda. Like, they don't care about that. They just, it's all a front. But the front was disrupted uh, with Trump literally saying on Twitter mm. and through videos that people should stop counting votes. Yep. I mean, yes. That counting votes if he's winning and... Right. Start counting if he's losing. <laughs> that was astounding. Astounding. Just the, the blatant violation of what this country has worked so hard to, to be uh -huh. or, or to get closer to, because we all know that the U.S. is, is their, their democracy was founded on slavery, uh -huh. but we're not even going to go there. But they, they have worked harder to really make every vote count and to offer each citizen an opportunity to vote and the fact that Trump would stand there and tell people to stop counting votes. I hope that every single one of those 70 million people who voted for Trump were ashamed in that moment. I doubt it. All we can do is hope. Going to questions for the audience. Are you happy with the $60 million for the Black Youth Action Plan? Or were you expecting more investment for Ontario's Black community, especially since George Floyd? Thank you so much for joining us, everyone. 
We're releasing pods on a weekly basis, so subscribe to stay up to date. We now have our own Instagram page dedicated to the podcast. Follow us at The Drift Teal. Black people, we hope that you know that this is a safe space for you. So if you have any feedback or questions, feel free to slide in our DMs and let us know what's up. We'd also like to give a special shout out to Stephen Fissett, who graciously provided artwork for this podcast. If you like what you see, you can find him on Instagram at Scarborough Debutante. That's Scarborough, D-E-B-U-T-A-N-T-E, for all your graphic design needs. See y'all next time. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.